When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 158. We're recording on Saturday, May 21st. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. So Rebecca's back after uh, being off last week. She hadn't made it back from BEA quite yet when Amanda and I recorded last week. Maybe at the end of the show, we'll see if there's anything else you wanted to say about BEA. Did you listen to me and Amanda talk about I it? I did, yeah. Okay. I, you guys pretty much covered all my feelings. I sat here and like nodded along with yeah. you. And I always, when it's the two of you on the show and I listen later, it's always like, but I want to talk back to you. <laughs> <laughs> talk back to you. And uh, yeah, it was, I, I love Chicago. I really enjoyed, you know, having BEA there, but I agree it felt a little smaller and chiller all around. And uh, we did see, as Amanda pointed out, many more authors of color, especially mm-hmm. uh, being, uh, at least publishers were pointing us in that direction because they yep. know that that's a, a thing that we care about. But it was overall, it was a good show. Um, I do want to shout out to all the people who listened to us about me being the short girl with purple hair oh, and you being yeah. the very tall fellow and came and said hello to us. It was really wonderful to meet so many of you. We did. There were a lot of people that we ran into. Um, I mean, more than any other year, which would make sense because it's just, you know, another year and more people. But uh, do uh, of course we were we're delighted to to hear and see and talk to you guys for a few minutes. Um, quick mention, Book Riot Live early bird pricing. If you want to come and you're thinking about coming, or you know you're going to come for sure, you're going to want to get an early bird ticket. Uh, ends the special pricing ends at the end of this month, uh, May 31st. Get 40 bucks off the weekend pass. You get first crack at the Strand. Saturday night cocktail or I guess wine party. It's not it's cocktails. And there's, um, I think we're only we have like single digits. Yeah, I think we're below left. ten for those left. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, uh, do that now. And also you get a free water bottle, Book Riot Live water bottle. You can tote around with you. BookRiotLive.com. Don't need a special offer code or anything right now. Um, ends May thirty first. So be sure to check that out. Uh, all right, and so here we go. Let's let's do our first sponsor, Audible. Audible's back. You, you've heard me talk about Audible a billion times before, so I'm going to hit a couple couple things that maybe you don't know. So first of all, you should say, if you want to try it, 30-day free trial membership, go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. Uh, you, you can try it out there. There's a couple of things that are interesting. There are a couple different plan levels. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Uh, you know, the, from one book a month to, I think, is top out at three now or two? I'm, I think it tops out at three. Tops out at three per month. But they do this thing that's really clever. I'm sure someone over there has done their behavioral economics homework. Because if I've used up my credits for the month, um, they'll give me a little nudge say, hey, you can get three extra credits for a discounted price. Uh, which I almost always hit. So you actually get actually <laughs> another little, you know, you get you dis- discounts on other things. They also run members-only specials and discounts. Um, so, you know, they'll, they'll do a, a curated list. They'll have, you know, people come in and curate a list of things related to a holiday or some uh, notable landmark or anniversary. Um, so there's also, in addition to your credits, you can buy on top of that. And if you're a member and have a regular membership, you not only get discounted prices on you know all the, the books in addition to the credits you get with your membership, but they also have these special rotating things. So that's something I don't think we've talked about before. I mean, we're talking, you know, I linked to something the other day, Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman for four bucks. You know, that's the, the kind of thing. Um, those are especially good if you want to try something, you're not sure you're going to like it, or, you know, you, you want to listen to it, but you don't want to use one of your credits on it. Um, it gives you a little extra incentive to try something a little bit outside your comfort zone. So that's something as well. They've got, you know, I, what, what are we up to now? We've got, what number are they telling us to use? 250,000 titles from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, newspaper publishers. If you've got something that can play an MP3 that can hook up to the internet somehow, chances are they can support your device. Over 500 MP3 players and other devices supported. Also, great listen guarantee. If you start something and you don't like it, you basically can automatically get a refund on your credit and use it on something else. You don't have to go through, a, you don't have to email anyone, you don't have to call anyone. It's all right there, a couple clicks, um, and you get your credit back to use on something else. So that's audible.com, audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. Get started today. Today is a day I've long anticipated. 
uh, when it comes to my audiobook life. I get to start the gene um, today. By you uh, had a galley of that like months I, I, ago. I did, but you know what? I made a conscious decision that I did the impair of all maladies on audio, and I loved it. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to do it on audio when it comes out. So I'm it's using so good, Jeff. I'm using my Audible credit. It's really long. It's 592 pages, which translates, I think, I looked at it as like 18 hours. Um, the Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee, uh, an intimate history, a cultural and scientific history of of our understanding of human genetics. Um, also, it was it's really good. I'm coming off a book that really blew my mind too on Audible. I have to shout out. I've mentioned this book before. I'd read a couple of sample chapters. Um, because I was interested in the topic, uh, Neurotribes by Steve Silverman. It's a cultural history of autism, uh, which is super interesting. I did it on audio. It was a great audio book uh, as well. I, I'm, on a, I'm, on a, I'm on a home run string. I also read uh, the, the Technologies, uh, the Industries of the Future by Alec Ross, which was also super fascinating about you know, what the next, he thinks the next. He was um, digital, a digital, sec- digital secretary for... Hillary Clinton, and when she was Department of State, um, traveled the world looking at industries and what the future is going to be like, and yeah, super, really interesting stuff. So I, I, I'm on a roll. And then next week, Grunt, or no, two weeks, Grunt by Mary Roach comes out, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to do that on Audible. So I, you know, I, I'm in the clover, man. I, I couldn't yeah. be more happy about my audiobook life right now, I have to say. Yeah, I'm fully in like summer chill out mode with Mm. my audiobooks, even though the summer weather seems to be refusing to come around in Richmond so far. Uh, So I just did Heartburn recently by Nora Ephron and it was performed by Meryl Streep and it was Uh, so good. You raved about that continuously while you were were reading it. so good. And like many of the Book Riot contributors have been reading it or listening to it and raving about it. Um, One of the best, if not the hands down best audiobook experience that I've had. And so um, I picked up with my latest set of audible credits. I feel bad about my neck. And mm. I think it's and other thoughts on being a woman or observations on being a woman. They're hilarious essays by Nora Ephron about contemporary woman experiences. And she reads uh, the audiobook herself and it's excellent. Uh, so I'm enjoying that right now. Did you see, uh, I think coming out in July or maybe June, Dahlia Ephron has a new novel, novel coming out, Syracusa, which mm-hmm. is about friends on the Italian coast and, it seems like a little bit more of a lighthearted sort of Ferrante deal. You know, you're, you're in yeah. Italy with friends, though I haven't done my Ferrante yet. I have to wait for May 22nd. So to be fresh, it'll be summer uh, for my summer of Ferrante. Um, so <laughs> I'm anyway. anxiously awaiting your notes on the summer of Ferrante. Know, I'm just you know not sure I'm going to get to that. You know, I haven't. I, I actually have not heard anybody talk about doing yeah, those on audio. I don't even know if they are. Uh, I'll have to ask the book right hive mind if anyone's done it on audio. Because as I said before, I prefer my audio on uh, my audio to be nonfiction, but th- that one might be interesting. Summertime stuff to go on. Um, thanks so much to Audible for the show, and also giving us a de facto excuse to talk about our audiobook, our recent audiobooks listens, which is <laughs> right. always a nice part of the feature it's, of the show. It, it's kind of a nice. Uh, we don't do the new books feature on here anymore. Yeah, we can yeah, kind of yeah. do the what we've been listening to. Well, lately. we read so much. We do so much audio that sort of uh, has the, yeah. that same effect. Uh, let's get to the week's stories. Um, All right, this I'm was so. Go ahead. Interesting. I was going to say the Lena Dunham story. Oh, I was going to do the oh. uh, uh, Gillian Flynn. Oh, yeah. yes, right. We yeah. added this the last second. Uh, speaking of audiobooks, this was kind of an odd thing. I'm not sure I've ever seen it quite like this before. Um, Publishers Weekly does audiobook reviews, and I think the Times, to my knowledge, don't doesn't do audiobook reviews that often. I, I don't remember yeah, I don't seeing it. Remember ever seeing one? No. Though I, I have to say, my knowledge is not comprehensive of all the reviews that they've done. Um, but I saw Pamela Paul tweeting the other day about that she got Gillian Flynn. She's been trying to get her to write for the Times Forever to do a review, and she finally got her. And I looked, and and it's it's a review of Emma Thompson's reading of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, which is one of these audible classic paired with a celebrity narrator deal, uh-huh. right? And The Turn yeah. of the Screw is a novella. You know, it's a it's a pretty quick listen. It's 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 let's see, it says here about less than five hours long. Oh, okay. It's, it's one a of ghost, my favorites. It's a ghost story, um, which is a little unusual for for Henry James. Uh, if you haven't read Henry James, it's actually if I were to do a start here of Henry James, not a bad one though. It's, it may not be representative, so it might be a little yeah, misleading. It's, yeah, it's unusual, but it's more fun than uh, like Daisy Miller. Yeah, and, and so I guess may. The the review itself, I read it. You haven't, so just to 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 show where we are, it's not actually, uh, it's not actually a review of her reading. Like basically, okay. the one sentence about Emma Thompson is: as an audiobook reader, the British actress Emma Thompson, she has such distinct sense and sensibility. 
uh, in parentheses pairs perfectly for this effect. That's okay. it. Okay. Uh, so everything what is else it is or... about turn of a screw, which <laughs> but, is fine. But uh, we're now reviewing books from like a hundred and some odd years ago. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a little curious. Like I don't know. I don't understand what's going on here. Is this a is it a new audiobook? I I think so. I think well I I, I don't know. Uh, um, let me actually I'm going to look it up on the fly here to see if it gives me. It's just it's weird, right? Um, my my brow is furrowed. E- even even <laughs> if it is a new recording, even if it is a new version, um, it's not. Uh, there's not enough it, about it to I, seem like no, to warrant yeah. a review of. Right, like, are we going to get a review of The Raven next week? It's, yeah, it's just what? It's just very curious. <laughs> it, it is very curious. Um, I'm, I don't have, yeah. I don't have, it doesn't show, like, the production date in Audible, um, but uh, the, 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 the earliest review, I mean, the, the, the oldest reviews are only a few months old, going back to March. Um, so I, I think... I think it's only been out for a little while, if it's not brand new. Very strange, uh, it so seems to me. Um, so I don't know what to say about it. It's I don't know if Pamela Paul, this is what she could get Gillian Flynn yeah. to, to 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 read. Um, my my um, cynical mind is is it some sort of sponsored content from Audible? It's not disclosed. Oh. You, know, you see what I'm getting at, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's because curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, there's it, an excerpt so in. You can listen to an excerpt in the time. Uh, you can listen to an excerpt oh. in line with the the review. I, I just something that... something curious about it going yeah, on. Yeah, that's really interesting. That bit about like an, the embeddable. Yeah. Listen, uh, and I think yeah, one of our contributors was sort of speculating. I wonder if this was Pamela Paul trying to get Gillian Flynn to write, and Gillian Flynn was like, "Well, the thing that I feel like writing about is Emma, Emma Thompson's Tom- reading like, of the turn gotta, of the screw." I just have to believe that Gillian Flynn's taste is more interesting than that. That like, if you could get Gillian Flynn to review something, like she's paying attention to what's happening in the world, right? I. I, I think I she guess. I mean, or maybe she be. just always wanted to write about Turn of the Screw, and this is kind of a hook. Uh, maybe. Anyway, th- it's not. But, it's not super obvious to me what's going on, which makes it interesting to sort of yeah, speculate right. about. And that the Times would run it. Like it's a head scratcher. Do they really think that enough people will be interested in what Gillian Flynn thinks about anything to re- read a review of Turn of the <laughs> Screw? Or do they think this, you know, like, what's the chicken, like, what's the editorial hook here? How did this happen? Yeah, right. how did was this it, happen? Was it Gillian Flynn's name matters so much that we'll just let her write about whatever she wants and get yeah. the page views from the Gillian Flynn thing? Or is it some sort of, but, well, the way the book review typically works, right, is that the editor assigns books out to different reviewers and they try to that's, match. That's my understanding, yes. So they try to match the reviewer to one of the many galleys that they have for an upcoming publication date. Mm-hmm. And so I, maybe somebody from well, Audible's PR department work, was think like, we when, have this, you could review. I think when you work at this level, like it happens in multiple ways, right? Like you're yeah, looking yeah, to place certain books, but also you, you want people like Gillian, you want other, you know, you want names in the review. At least the New York Times book review does. Sure, do but you're, so you're trying to like thread that needle of we got Gillian Flynn and we want her to review something that's relatively new. Amazon shows that that recording um, came out in March. Okay, um, so there you go. So it's it's yeah. relatively new. Um, I, it would be more random if it was like six years old or right. something. I guess that <laughs> gives enough cover to talk about. I mean, um, I get... I'm sure that Pamela Paul gets fancier emails than I get, but we get PR stuff that is kind of like that of like, we have this new thing. And if you wanted to run a review of it, we could send you blah, blah, blah to go inside it. Um, So that's, I would guess, well, not guess. I hope that what happened was like, this is organic interest on the part of Gillian Flynn and or the New York Mm -hmm. Times book review. And they just took advantage of Audible's offer to give readers a, you know, a free listen. I certainly hope if it's, well, I hope it's not sponsored content because if it is sponsored content and it's not disclosed in any way, that's a well, yeah, real that's problem. bogus. But if it is sponsored yeah. content, putting it to the side, it's not disclosed. It's it's very very good. Like it's very like <laughs> it's very like this is this is a hell of a 
sponsored content spot to have Gillian Flynn write about your right. audiobook in the New York Times book review. I haven't, um, I subscribed to the print New York Times book review for a project I'm working on. Um, and it, it's, it should be in this, it went online on May 18th and that usually, that's when this, the following weekend's print stuff generally goes online. So I'll take a look and see. And, you know, they might also, the, the, the perhaps more generous reading is Pamela Paul has made an effort to, to do some different stuff with their Times review. And this is, different like this is mm-hmm. Gillian Friend on Emma Thompson like it's kind of like Mad Libs like what three things can we put together it's like <laughs> Emma Thompson Gillian Flynn and uh, Henry James turned the screws like okay that's that's a different kind of it is piece of content sure. especially if it's- audiobooks has become uh, more popular and it's turn of the screw is kind of genre ish yeah. being a ghost story. Right. And all. Um, well, I think we've also so, and Pamela Paul has spread out the has expanded yes, the genre coverage for sure. I think what's weird, and I think you and I maybe have talked about this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show the sort of we how to write about the narration of an audiobook, like separation separating the review mm-hmm. of a book from the narration, because um, this one is. This is not Gillian Flynn on Emma Thompson reading The Turn of the Screw. That, the headline is horribly <laughs> misleading. It's yeah. like a review of the, the of the Turn of the Screw on the occasion of having listened to Emma Thompson read it. Um, <laughs> right. right. I mean, that's that, that's really what it seems to me. Um, and and so I guess I, I feel like a narrator, for nonfiction at least, I, maybe fiction is a different deal. Should be like reviewing the officials in a sporting event. Like mm-hmm. the best review is that you don't notice it, I suppose. Yes. Uh, fiction, I think, especially when there's multiple characters, like like I've said before about um, the Jim Dale's Night Circus or Harry Potter, like that's a performance um, that is, stands, I think, a, outside of a review of the book, right? You you could review that and talk about that independently. Um, nonfiction. art when you have a single narrator, assuming they're saying all the words right in a cadence you can deal with, in a register you can deal with, you know, there, there's there's a fairly narrow band uh, of quality that is actually going yeah, to be that's, acceptable. Yeah, nonfiction is that, like, delivery of information. It's kind of a newscaster yeah, right, situation yeah, right. where, right, you just need to get the info from the nonfiction audiobook. Like, mm-hmm. just put it into my ears in a way that I can tolerate. Right. And pronounce all the words correctly yeah the, the difference between um, my favorite fiction, nonfiction narration my least favorite nonfiction narration is you know it, it, it's not a wide spectrum there but no. in, so fiction is a different deal so you might think in this case something to, would be said about uh more about her narration here um and i'm looking it over again just to make sure but i'm not i think that's also kind of a second set of skills that people have to develop when they do review audiobooks many of our contributors at Book Riot who listen to tons of audiobooks and write about them have talked about that process of mm-hmm. learning like when you're like if you listen to a novel on audio you are reviewing the contents of the novel, but then you also are, if you're doing a good job, you're reviewing the performance that the narrator does as well. And then talking about how the two things go together and hopefully how the two things complement each other so that someone who's trying to decide, do I want to read this book? And if I do, do I want to consume it on audio can make both of those decisions with help from your review and perhaps Gillian Flynn is new to the reviewing of audio books. Yeah. Here's another, there's another sentence um, about Thompson's narration in the middle. Let me just read it just to give you a sense of what it is. Um, Voiced quite stunningly by Thompson in a sing-song lilt that is not remotely sweet, Miles and Flora just as unnerving as the speechless ghost. Thompson has okay. captured perfectly the gentle flirtation of children's manipulation. There's some quotation, and I think that's the only other direct mention. Um, so there's a little bit there. Uh, anyway, it's a difficult task, um, a difficult presentation and a curious, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I don't, I don't really mean it. I I mean, I'm genuinely curious about what's going on with this. Very interesting. I'd love to know more. All right. So we spent more than enough time on that. uh, (laughs) Well, a review of a review of a narration. Boy, we're really getting meta here all of a sudden. (laughs) Uh, yeah, let's let's go to probably the week's. Well, no, 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 yeah. not not the week's biggest story. Let me go to Lena story. Dunham yeah, yeah. first. We'll, let's, we'll, we'll, let's have a potpourri yeah, moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so this week, Lena Dunham dropped a surprise book called "Is It Evil Not to Be Sure?" Uh, that's a collection of her diary entries from 2005 and 2006. Um, she just found the journal entries on an old hard drive earlier this year, and you know, got a wild hair to share them um, because she had captured that period of time of her younger 
herself. I think um, I think she's in her early 30s, so these would have been from her yeah, early I'm not 20s. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, she said, "I've always believed that women chronicling their own lives, even or especially at their most mundane, is a radical act. That's why I thought the diaries might be worth sharing as a short book." Um, so she has published those, and the cool thing is that all of the proceeds are going to Girls Right Now, uh, which is a nonprofit organization that matches up young women in New York City um, who want to be writers with professional writers as their mentors. Um, so I think a couple interesting things there. I'm totally with Lena Dunham that women chronicling their lives, especially at their most mundane moments, is a radical act and that we don't pay enough attention or uh, give enough serious credit uh, to women's stories about their lives. Like Carl of Nausgaard gets to write four volumes of this stuff. Oh, right. Um, but Dunham uh, is doing it, doing it a different way, sharing uh, her diary and not doing it for her own gain, but to support um, a cool organization that we've partnered with in the past. We so have. I guess full disclosure, we've worked with them. They were our charitable partner a few years ago. Um, but that's just an interesting thing that happened. Yeah, I, mean, I would be uh, mortified to share. Well, my, like, I think we've learned about Lena 20s. Dunham that her level, her, her mortification threshold is significantly uh, higher than I, yours well, and mine. I think her don't care juice is real strong. Yeah, or or the, yeah. The, her her care juice about other things is more potent than her don't care sure. juice about other things. Right. Yeah, um, if you're going to do it, uh, this is I mean this is the the noblest possible um, use of it. Not afraid to plumb her own uh, experience for art and put to put on public display. Yeah, I think she really recognizes the position that she's yep. in in the culture and on the internet and the degree to which young women who want to have careers like hers look up to her and that she still is very unique to yep. have that much success at such a young age, whether you like her or not, or like her work or not, um, is really remarkable. And uh, this looks to me like a move toward, uh, let me share a little bit more of myself. And I would assume anybody's diaries from their late teens or early twenties are going to have plenty unflattering yeah. <laughs> moments. Um, but that's, that can be really validating when you are in the midst of that time period in your life too, to see that someone you look up to had their own like cringeworthy it, moments and is sharing them. I don't, I don't mean to. I, I don't even know that this is necessarily a cynical point to make. Other than I, I, I realize it might be anything to do with the the coming imprint stuff. I mean, is this any way related oh, to that? That's interesting. I mean, why? Um, you know, why? You know, I'm always asking a why right now. I mean, she found it or whatever. Um, she's getting more and more into the publishing. Uh, you know, game. Mm -hmm. Well, she had that the that memoir. What? Not that kind of girl. Not that, that kind of girl. Called? Right. Yep. Um, last year. So I'm. Maybe I it's she's certainly savvy. So maybe a move toward just keeping her name in literary yeah. publication circles. Uh, yeah, it also once makes me wonder what what would she not publish of her? I mean, would she publish oh. would she publish sort of a transcript of her being interviewed under uh, uh, what's uh, what's uh, the truth serum with phenobarbital oh. or whatever that is? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, th this seems to me almost no. Uh, no meridian, no meridian of uh, of confession that she will not cross. That's not judgment. I'm just. It's so interesting that yeah, I think that anything she could think or say, she thinks is fair game for public consumption, which is remarkable. Um, yeah, in an, in a really interesting way, her her life is her product. Yes, um, and she's she doesn't do or I haven't seen her at least do the. Uh, hand waving that many writers do about the line between uh, what's by what's autobiographical. There and is what's no not. line. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think you can if you've watched Girls, you can draw clear lines between things that she has said or written about her own life, and then things that appear on the show. And certainly, she's not the same person uh, as her character on the show. But um, she, her work is heavily autobiographical, and she puts herself out there. And uh, you and I had this conversation about Beyonce a while ago, where we mm. were talking about how Beyonce as a performer puts her whole body on the line. Right. And I, as an actress, Lena Dunham does the same. Yeah. Um, in in a diff it's a different kind of performance, but especially as a woman who defies uh, traditional standards of beauty. She really, she's sort of putting it all out there in yeah. multiple senses. Well, and Dunham uh, puts her it's in. It's part of the product. In Dunham, it seems to me, I, I'm not a great, um, uh, I, I, you know, uh, historian or sort of aficionado of either. I, I follow both Beyonce and Lena Dunham publicly. Um, but 
Dunham puts her interiority on the line much yes. more than Beyonce does. It seems to me there is a there's a performative quality of Beyonce that has its strengths and weaknesses too. Just like Lena Lena Dunham's sort of mode also has, but it's just different. Like with Beyonce, there's always sort of the question of this is art, is this performance, is what this. Whereas Lena Dunham seems to be her move is that it's all sort of wrapped up. The the I guess the the fount is in truth of her own experience where th- with Beyonce, the truth is the performance, right? And anything right. else is, seems to be secondary. I- interesting modes for both. Um, I have to say I'm more interested. I, the more I've thought about it, I'm, the more interested I'm, I've, I've been in the done, the Lenny letter, Lenny, Lenny books, I guess is the imprint going to be called. Yeah. Um, the first, I think the first acquisition, I don't know if we talked about in the show of uh, a short story collected by an Asian American woman, um, which I found encouraging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well. Okay, let's go. Let's go business. Let's do. Let's the big do business. Stuff. Um, the biggest story this week uh, is comes from Goodreads. Um, you know, and so by by extension comes from Amazon. That Goodreads is getting into the ebook deal game, which has been a thriving, I should say, part of the digital book world, and maybe oh, yes. in its own way a, a sleeper hit. It doesn't get talked about in the same way that say Wattpad. On ebooks in general, or even subscription books, I'm sure we've certainly talked more about mm-hmm. subscription stuff more than we've talked about book deals. Um, but we have our own book deal newsletter. BookBub has become a huge; they got seven million dollars in VC funding. Um, many of the publishers run their own uh, ebook deal newsletters. BookPerk. We've worked with HarperCollins, um, a huge one there, um, and, and uh, Open Road Media, which is exclusively an ebook publisher. Backlist especially has a huge. Early bird books, I'm giving them all free advertising. They'll come thank me later, send me a gift basket. Um, and I subscribe to all of them as I try. Basically, book ride deals is a little bit different because I pick one that's not paid. Um, the publisher one, of course, they get uh, compensated by their own sales. BookBub, those are paid placements. Um, and Goodreads deals, I, we don't know. Do we know yet if these are paid? I guess we're into it. Yes. Where they're personalized ebook deals emailed to you based on um, you select genres, you can select mark books you want to read, and then they'll email you the personalized ebook deal. So what do we know so, about this at this point? Well, what we know is uh, I talked to somebody at Goodreads I this see. week who's yeah, who Oh, a birdie. We have a I birdie. I have a birdie. A birdie. I have All a Goodreads right. birdie. Uh, who said that they want it to be clear that there will be curation involved. So this is an advertising product. Uh Publishers and self-published authors can um, apply to have their deal featured in these Goodreads personalized daily ebook deals. But Goodreads um, will not just be, it's not just going to be a fire hose of everyone who applies and is willing to give dollars will get their deal featured. They're saying it will be curated. Um, And Goodreads traditionally does a pretty good job of knowing what their users Mm. want and of caring about the experience of hearing about like new books from authors that you follow. They're always, I think they are uh, always thinking about why do people use Goodreads and what can we do to give those users, you know, a better experience or a richer reading life experience? So um, they care about the quality of the match there, but it will be um, it is something that the publishers can pay for. And they're negotiating to like sort of compile these. So I bet that I bet and I hope that this is going to be a really interesting, smart use of all that delicious, juicy data that Goodreads and Amazon mm-hmm. collectively have about the books that are on people's want to read shelves, the authors that are on people's shelves. And they could do some interesting things like like imagine that meeting. Goodreads goes to Penguin Random House and is like, so these are the five titles that have come out this year that are on the most mm-hmm. want to read shelves. How about you discount this title and advertise it with us and then we'll see how many people buy it and mm-hmm. then also how it moves from their want to read shelves to their have read right. shelves or right. whatever. Um, a really smart, like they they have that data. Amazon has this these magical numbers yep, that no do. one else can see. And I think that that's where this is going to go um, is Goodreads being able to take advantage of all that information that they have about what people want to read or what they have been reading or like, 
you know, the second book in this series came out last year and this many people read it. And so when the third one comes out, let's drop the price on the new one and, you know, advertise to everybody who has these things on their shelves or uh, when the next gone girl on the train in the field who's missing yes. uh, comes out, you can show that title to everybody who has all those other missing girl um, things. I think it's a uh, man, if they do it right. And I kind of have faith in Goodreads and Amazon to be able to mm-hmm. do this. Um, it's, it's really smart. And this is such a, this is a, a, we talked about it offline, but I think this is a big swipe, especially at BookBub. I mean, BookBub has, has, bec- is the big player in the field, as far as I can tell. That's not a, that's a non publisher. I mean, I think they have something like 7 million email subscribers. Um, and they really get granular about genre. I haven't looked recently. I subscribe to it, but it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, I find it's it's certainly hit and miss. Um, I haven't gone as granular about all the way down to author. I think the thing that's interesting here is a, you know, Goodreads is kind of the uh, the upper limit. You know, the, you there is no bigger online book audience than Goodreads. Um, so they're they're just already bigger than BookBub, uh, immediately bigger, um, and they do have all this ancillary data about what people review things. Um, you know, they also have all these associative things. They have some of the best, I think it's even better than Amazon itself. Um, when you're looking at a specific title in Goodreads, they mm-hmm. say you, you might also like, um, I think we did a roundup a while back, sort of comparing that you might also likes on Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Apple, and just sort of, and Goodreads really won hands down. So their, alg- their, 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 um, associative algorithm about taste is very, very good so that they can do things. Even if I haven't opted into a particular author and genre, they may be able to um, figure out that I might like something that I haven't checked a box for just by that data alone. Yeah. So it, I, you know, I, I can't, you know, if if you're Penguin Random House or someone else, and you're looking to do a buy to to promote an ebook discount, um, it, it's it's very difficult for me to see a reason why I would choose BookBub over Goodreads. Now we don't know anything about pricing, so there's always that. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I think, just looking at it is that it's not exclusively Kindle deals. Um, you right. can do Apple and Kobo and Google Play and all of the, competi- the competing um, ebook retailing platforms, which is a super interesting thing for Goodreads to do. They don't have to do that. They necessarily wouldn't have to do that. Um, and maybe part of it is user experience concerns, like they don't want people to, to feel funneled just to Amazon, even though they love Goodreads. But also it could be in order to sell these things competitively, with a, a big player like BookBub who can't, will offer you um, mm-hmm. all those retailing options, you know, you want to make it available too. So yeah, I think it, uh, it uh, yeah, it's their, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It serves their users to offer more than just Amazon, uh, but it also doesn't leave dollars on the table yep. um, by directing them there. And I also really wonder how many Goodreads users, like what percentage of Goodreads users know even that Goodreads is owned by Amazon because the touch has been very light there and the like that slice of readers that care about the publishing news like Amazon owning a thing is pretty narrow Um, and in our own anecdotal experience uh, every now and then like once a month or so someone gets upset that we link to Amazon (laughs) on Book Riot and says they wish that those links went to Goodreads instead and it's like well sit down because (laughs) Uncle Jeff has a little story to tell (laughs) they're the same thing. Um, So I'm curious about that. I think it's really, this is going to be really interesting. Um, Currently, Goodreads will alert you when a book that you have on your want to read shelf goes on sale, becomes available. Um, It looks like when Goodreads deals started this week, there were three ways that you would get notified of a deal. One was if you had the book on your want to read shelf. Um, One was if the discount is offered on a title by an author that you follow on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. And then the third way is if you had subscribed to the genre program and they launched with bestsellers, mystery thriller, sci-fi fantasy and romance. Mm. Um, But I would assume we're going to see those expand as well. There are so many interesting things. So many. Yeah. Many things they could do. The other, the other thing is to connect it to the larger story about eBooks that's going on right now, which is um, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, We have talked about this before, but uh, Nielsen or I can't remember, maybe it was BookScan. One of the two big players in the, you know, um, publishing reporting, game. Um, I think this was the week before BEA, so we didn't end up talking about it. Like ebook sales were down considerably mm-hmm. in 2015. So I, I don't know if this is a catch a falling knife move. Um, mm. it, it does seem to me to move into the ebook 
deal space when ebooks themselves are showing a, a great degree of weakness uh, is interesting to me. Perhaps, um, you know, maybe someone like Amazon, well, I know they know. Perhaps even as the overall ebook market is softening, there might be quite a bit of resilience in the discounted ebook market. Um, I know I buy more and more, uh, a higher and higher percentage of my ebook buys are discounted titles. Some of it is that I'm looking for them all the time, and I and I, I probably see as many good ones as anyone on the internet. I have to say because I just look at so many. So if there's <laughs> yeah, something, I think that's a fair. So guess. I think I, you know, I'm I might be patient zero in that particular, but it is the one place where ebooks offer a completely different value proposition than print books. Um, is that you can get, you know, I'm reading on my Kindle right now. I'm reading Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman that I bought for a dollar ninety nine, which is something that I've always sort of been interested in. But I don't think I would have ever gone to the trouble of getting it from the library. And I don't think I would have ever paid for a paperback. I certainly wouldn't have paid the $14.99 or whatever it is for a full-priced ebook. Mm-hmm. But they, to buy it for $1.99, and I didn't have to read it right then. It's sort of sitting on my Kindle when I'm ready for it. Like It's like a different thing. Like it, It's like it a different the- part of the ecosystem. It's this like experimentation yeah. threshold is right. different. You're more willing to take that risk on a thing that you, right. You weren't going to pay $22 to read it in hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to put a dollar 99. Why I not? wasn't even going to put a hold on it on the, like, it's even like that. I wouldn't even put a hold on it in the library and wait for it. Right. Like it's, 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 it's a, it's immediate right there for, you know, very nominal price because the, the cost of going to the library or getting it checked out in the library um, on my Kindle and expires. Like, to to be honest, for me, it's worth two bucks. Just like now, mm-hmm. it's mine, and I have it forever, and I can read it whenever I want. If I'm not going to get to right now, and if Michelle wants to read it, you know, we share an Amazon account. So like, the all the value that goes into it, like it's sort of that's that's where it is for me. And I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't think we've ever seen any data about um, discounted ebook titles, like what you know, how many are sold no. from the big five. Is that mm-hmm. number going up? Is it going down? What percentage of ebook, pri- you know, what percentage of ebook purchases in terms of volume is it? We have seen the the average purchase price of ebooks go down year over year, which is curious to me as I was thinking about it this week. Especially since there's been a ratcheting up of the price of front list ebook titles. So I do wonder if the thing that's dragging the aggregate price down is a lot of people buying a dollar ninety nine ebook deals. Um, because you know our our ebook deal list is considerably smaller by orders of magnitude than BookBub or Goodreads oh, yes. can ever be. But we move titles. I mean, we move. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feature something and it'll sell. It'll sell a hundred. And sometimes or so. it's kind of surprising. Yeah, which ones are some the ones of them? Some of them are kind of surprising. You know, yeah. it, the things that seem to do particularly well. And now that we're on this topic, I've been doing this for a year now, so I've got all the kinds of things to say. So bear with me. Um, <laughs> is there's the sweet spot for ebook deals for us? seems to be something that was in, was out and talked about like two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not as you might think, the Da Vinci Code or the Lovely Bones or those things you see on the paperback favorites table. You know, that I yeah, thought no, those would be the sweet spot, it's, but it's not. It's like that was big a few years ago and I meant to get to it and I never got yeah. to it. And I was kind of OK never getting to it. But now that it's yeah. $2.99, I'm going to buy it. Like um, what was one the other day? Oh, Eleanor and Park. That was mm-hmm. one of our deals the other day. So it's been out a couple of years, and it was really popular. And I think a lot of people who are super excited about it have read it, but there was like, and frankly, I bought it too, because I don't know if I'm going to read it, but I was like, I might be in the mood for it at some point. Sure, and for $2.99, for, for, why for, not? For, I think it was $1.99. For $1.99? Yeah, I was like, interesting. Like, so I think it picks up a lot of those sort of, I don't know, casual, you know, people who are interested, but not necessarily fans. Because um, mm-hmm. if you... I, I, it's that same threshold thing. At this point, if you were interested in the Da Vinci Code at all, you've probably read it. You know, like yeah. it, it's. I don't know that a dollar ninety nine because I featured the Da Vinci Code one day and it surprisingly didn't do very much. Uh, you know, relative to some of the other picks, and you know, and other things that also as a discovery tool, I'd be interested. Like if it's a book that people have never heard about, um, sometimes it's real hit and miss. It, it's very difficult to say. Some of the titles I pick, I have a good sense of how how well they're going to do. But there are some, you know, some people that I, I'm not sure people have heard about, but I think is interesting. And I like to feature a variety of things, so it's not just the same all the time. Some of them do very well, and I'm surprised, and some of them don't sell. So it, it's an interesting space. Um, Goodreads has the most, they have the most data and the widest reach. 
Yeah. Um, if anybody can make a an attempt at like really well customized, curated yes. ebook deals, it's going to be Goodreads. And it has the virtue of being an advertising play essentially that also is a reader service, right? Yeah. That yeah, you know you're it, signing it, up to get be advertised to. Who doesn't like that? And, our own contributors, we kind of use them as consumer research mm-hmm. often. Like, here's a new thing. What do you think about this? And pretty much everybody was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, my experience with Goodreads is already positive, And all my reading information about my reading life from the last, you know, two or five or 10 years is there. And so having like a one-stop shop complete with ebook deals that are curated to that experience is something I'm stoked about. I tweeted about it and nobody had anything, no, like, nobody who responded no. to me on Twitter had anything other than like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to see them do this. Um, I do think you're right that the timing is interesting, especially given uh, where ebooks have been for the last year or so. It makes me wonder how long they were working on this. Like, yeah. um, you know, well, when not, Amazon bought Goodreads, that somebody was like, all right, so we have this data. What are we going to do with yeah. our collective knowledge um, between Amazon and Goodreads? And m- maybe they were just really wanted to get this right um, and have been working on it the whole time. Maybe it was new. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, I would be super interested to know sort of the, the narrative history of how this came to be. Because the time, it's to be honest, it seems about two years slow. Yeah. You know, to, BookBub's had a lot. I mean, we had an e-book deal. I mean, we don't have any, again, it's, it's a much lower technological solution. But I'm assuming if Amazon said, we're going to do this in four months, they could have a minimum viable product and ready to go. So yeah, some of maybe I'll get my Goodreads yeah. I don't know what birdie, your birdie a little drunk confess. and find yeah, out. Or, you know, put put the screws to them a little bit. Uh, we better do our sponsor. Tell us tell us about our next sponsor. Uh, our next sponsor is Jenna and uh, Jenna slash Finn by Kate Helgeson and Hannah Moskowitz. Uh, Jenna Slash Finn is based on the story of real-life best friends Kat and Hannah, the authors of the book. They met online and they formed this deep, lasting friendship through the chasm of online fan fiction. Mm. Uh, in the book, Jenna is a recent high school graduate. Her social life takes place mostly online. And Finn is in her early 20s. She's job hunting. She's contemplating marriage with her longtime boyfriend. Um, when their friendship online turns to love, though things get complicated, to say the least. Uh, The book, Jenna Slash Finn, is told through emails, text messages, journal entries, and blog posts. So it's that really creative new format of the digital age. It's a story of friendship and love in the digital age. Um, So if you're into fan fiction, fangirl culture, um, young adult novels that are, you know, great for adult readers as well. These have um, the main characters are bisexual. And so some uh, inclusive, inclusive, (laughs) some inclusive representation uh, happening there as well. Um, It's Jenna is spelled G-E-N-A. And it's like, it's a slash. Uh, mm-hmm. Finn, F-I-N-N, uh, by Kate Helgeson and Hannah Moskowitz. You can visit chroniclebooks.com and use the discount code BOOKRIOT to get 25% off when you purchase from the publisher nice. and free shipping. Yeah. yeah. 25% uh, so, off free shipping. That's very cool. Yeah. Smart so again, it's um, Jenna slash Finn by Kate Helgeson and Hannah Moskowitz. And visit chroniclebooks.com using the discount code BOOKRIOT for 25% off and free shipping. Uh, Lena Dunham turned 30 last week. Believe it or not. Oh, so well, happy birthday, happy Lena birthday. I thought we'd uh, do some real-time follow-up. Yes, that's good. That. Um, you know, you mentioned the Da Vinci Code. I, was gonna, I we wondered if you were going to pick up on the, the, what I was laying down for I, a second. When, when what you're picking down... When you're, what you're <laughs> I picking down. Talk today. It's Saturday morning. Um, when what you're putting down is Dan Brown, mm. I am always picking it up. Uh, Dan Brown's going to release an abridged version of the Da Vinci Code aimed at young adults. It's coming out on September 8th in the UK and September 13th here in the US. It will be in hardcover and ebook. Um, so it will be abridged for ages 13 and up. It's going to maintain the original plot, but introduce a new generation of readers to our favorite symbologist, Robert Langdon, and his girl Friday, Sophie Neveu. Um, the books are going to have new cover designs, and Dan Brown has said it is his sincere hope that the adaptation will spark in young adults the same thrill of discovery uh, that I feel while exploring hidden history and the mysteries of the world we live in. Uh, Brown's parents were educators, and he uh, says that if he weren't an author, he would also be a teacher himself. Um, so this was an interesting thing that happened this week. Like we we did a fair amount of brow furrowing over it. Well, yeah, um, it was uh, a lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of traction in the book riot 
back channels discussion yeah. more than I thought it would actually because it it's sort of a non well I don't think it's that interesting other than it's curious like well, I don't know what do you think about what, what what were people saying well I mean I think you're it I'm with you there it's not really interesting other than it's curious like the book's not new no so it's not like the Da Vinci Code is the current hot book and they're going to ride those coattails with a young adult adaptation right um there was some like is this just a grab for money but we sort of agreed collectively that it's at least on dan brown's part not a money grab like the da vinci code has sold 82 million copies worldwide he does not need the money grab um we've got some former booksellers in our ranks that have met him and say that he's you know really nice and genuine and that they are taking him at his word that he wants to give a version of the story to young adults that will ignite well, reading. Well, he doesn't I, want to I, give it to them. Well, yeah, he, he wants, wants to sell it, he to, wants to, sell yeah, it to right. them. I mean, sure. I, um, I guess I'm less... There I'm less a, concerned about the... I mean, they're, they're book that's publishing. They're selling it's, books. Like, it's sure, all a money grab. Right. I mean, not, right. if this it's is a money, money grab, grab, it's all a really. money grab, right? Everything <laughs> is a money grab. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not like a... It, I guess there, we agreed that maybe there. It's possible that there were some motives beyond the money yeah, grab okay. here. Yeah, okay, that, that's fair. Um, but the, I think the interesting, curious part of it that I don't quite get is like, it's not like the Da Vinci Code is a difficult read like one of the reasons that it did so well is that it's page turny and uh it does that thing that good suspense like thrillers do where you're not hung up on like pronouncing a five syllable word you're just turning the pages figuring out what's going to happen next um and young adults now read big long books Mm -hmm. um so I was interested, like, if they wanted to shorten it and keep this page-turny plot for younger readers as a, like, this is the kind of story that would get a reluctant reader. Um, I could see that, but they don't really go there, in the, at least in this press release. Right. Um, one of our fellow editors was sort of guessing, like, maybe his publisher just didn't have a lead young adult title for fall, and they were like, you know what, call Dan. Well, I mean, I can see, I can see what, maybe what they want to do is they want to, it is something they think young adults, you know, 13 plus is what they're saying. And they say older teens, like 17, 18, 19, really they're looking at 13 to 16 year olds, just reading yeah. between the lines, is they want to market it to that demographic, right? And so what do you do? I guess you just can't release the same book and say, here it is. So you got to change it somehow, presumably. It's going to get a new cover. Mm-hmm. So right. presumably more, in a, you know, it'll have some of the design language that you're more used to seeing um, in young adult books, which has its own aesthetic. And I'm, I'm, not a, mm-hmm. I'm not a designer, so I can't describe it to you, but it's, uh, it's a know-it-when-you-see-it situation. Yeah, young adult covers look different. Yeah, they look different, adult the adult fiction, fiction especially. Um, so it seems to me that they're packaging it to sell to that age group, and one of the things is that it's shorter. The other thing mm-hmm. is it has a different cover. And the other thing is that they'll shelve it with young adult books, right? Those are the, yeah, basically the right. three things. It's going to be there in the young adult section so for you to stumble I think on. it's part of the, it's more of a packaging the title and the abridging is only part of the story. It's kind of the, I think that's what right. I came, it came down to me is like, that's, that's something that's going on. But because a middle grade and lower young adult title, they do tend to be shorter on the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so a hardback, so it's going to be premiumly priced, interestingly. It's not going to be a paperback, which it was something I would have assumed. Um, that part to me might be a money grab, I have to say. They could easily make it a paperback That's true. release and an ebook. Um, so anyway, I'm, to my knowledge, this is the first time I've heard of a move like this, where you've taken an adult title, a Bridget, and call it YA. It's the... It's the first time I've heard of it with fiction. I don't know that it's the first time it's happened, but it's the first time I've heard of it with fiction. When um, when Three Cups of Tea was ah, the big yes. nonfiction adult title uh, several years back, they did a young adult version of it. And I think they also did a kids edit mm. of it. Um, they were just riding that train to Moneytown. Um But I haven't, I don't think that I've seen it with fiction. And like James Patterson has a young adult line. Yes. Um, well, but James Patterson totally has different. everything. That's true. Yeah. Um, but they are totally different books and characters and stories than his adult fiction. Um, I mean, I would read the crap out of Dan Brown's original young adult series. Yeah. For sure. Right. Um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It really Do you think would there's going to be like Brown at that point. Remember the oh, that would be so yeah. good. <laughs> um, it really would be. Remember the moral panic when the Da Vinci Code came out? It, like, they all run together. This is, 
it, it was very like this is blasphemous because they make the like oh because you know, of God. Jesus was really right. married to Mary Magdalene. There's all these like you know subversive religious messages yeah, <laughs> of sure. the Da Vinci Code. I wonder if that's going to happen since we're now trying to sell it to the children, um, or if we've like we've survived Harry Potter and the selling of witchcraft to the kids, and the kids are still <laughs> all right. So maybe it won't be a thing. Yeah. Um, it just my former bookseller bells started ringing of like oh that's going to be fun. <laughs> you know I'm reading this and it says is the second best-selling paperback of all time behind Fifty Shades of Grey. I, I doubt they're going to be making a YA version of that anytime soon. I think Da Vinci Code <laughs> will reign as the best-selling paperback to ever have a young adult uh, uh, a version of it. I, no, all the more, the remar- all the more remarkable for the Da Vinci Code in paperback because it was um, the Fifty Shades of Grey was only paperback in print. It never and, was a hardcover. And it took forever for the Da Vinci Code to even come out in yeah, paperback. Yeah, it came out yesterday. It, it came out yesterday like in six paperback. Six years, yeah, basically. Right. It basically came out yesterday. I don't think we talked um, about the, the the new tra- the trailer for Inferno. It came out uh, since we've last mm-hmm. spoken on the podcast. Yes. And I just because we are who we are, we have to mention that. And we we're are very, very excited, excited about that. Um, I think that better be our show. I think we're, I think you, it, you, you, you got to go on with Lib here in a minute. You, you're, you I do, and now I'm just thinking about Robert Langdon books. So. I know, I know. We're, we're all we're, – we're, I was also <laughs> reading this bookseller piece that in 2014 he said it might be a few years. He said two or three years until the next one's ready. So we're on the clock, Dan. It's been two, 2017. Well, he's, he's got to write that literary mystery about Shakespeare and Walt oh, Whitman. Oh, where Shakespeare's and, head. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, he's, he's working he's got, on the Jeff O'Neill special. What if he just threw out his manuscript? This is all garbage. I'm going with what O'Neill <laughs> and Shinsky recommended. That would be so awesome. <laughs> if Dan Brown ever listened to our show and I found out that he had listened to it, you would have to have a new co-host. Yeah, because I know. Because there'd dead. just be a Shinsky-shaped stain of, of <laughs> smoke on the ground. <laughs> I would just like explode into a cloud of glitter. Yeah, and you you would unicorns. take on your final form. Uh, at some point. <laughs> so that's our show. You can find show notes to this and all previous versions of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Thanks too much for our sponsor, Gina Finn, um, and Audible, audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot to start your free membership. You can get, uh, what, 20% off? 25% off and free shipping if you go to chroniclebooks.com and use uh, offer code bookriot. Book um, check it out right there, bookriotlive.com. You've got uh, a precious few days to, to get your early bird special there. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.